Morning. Right, let's just make sure we're recording. Great. I'll start my timer because last time I think I was asked to preach for 20 minutes. I think I went way over that. Uh, so apologies if you were here last time. Uh, we're on, on time today. Um, just wanted to start just by saying thank you so much for welcoming us. Uh, it's great to be with you. Thankfully, the church in Sittingbourne is kind of a, a bit of a stage where we're able to uh, leave and come and serve you guys, particularly while Mike's on his furlough as well. Um, so we're really, really excited by that and also quite providential, obviously, with um, Sam with COVID at home. And so uh, God bless Sam. Um, what we're going to do today, if you're a guest or a visitor, um, the church here, we're going through a series at the moment, kind of looking at the Holy Spirit. Um, and today, what we're going to be looking at is how we can grieve the Holy Spirit as believers. Uh, the Holy Spirit is described in lots of different ways in Scripture. Um, lots of different images. The Spirit's described as a dove, as a fire, as a, a still, kind of quiet voice, as a rushing wind. As a, as a waterfall, uh, lots and lots of other images as well. But ultimately, the Spirit of Jesus, um, the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit of Jesus. It's the presence of Jesus made known amongst us, the church, in and amongst each and every one of us, and also collectively through us as a, a church community here in Faversham and across the nation, which is super, super exciting. Is it not? Yeah. It is, great. I'm going to ask for a bit of feedback. It's always good to get a little bit of feedback. If you've got your Bibles, can you wave them at me? Or if you've got your phone or an iPad or whatever device you've got, hopefully you've got a Bible with you. If you can put your finger or find uh, 1 Thessalonians 5. We're going to start at verse 12. So that's 1 Thessalonians 5. That's in the New Testament for those of you who aren't that familiar with your Bibles. 1 Thessalonians 5. We're going to start at verse 12. And there's a bit of a chunk of scripture uh, that we're going to go through this morning. And there's loads of encouragement here about how we can grieve the spirit, how we should function as a church family, how we should sort of operate um, culture-wise kind of as individuals and as families in our own settings as well. I'm um, really looking forward to going through this. Uh, the letter is written by Paul to a church in Thessalonica. Uh, we don't think that the church had any elders at this point. So Paul's sending a letter to the church. It's kind of full of lots of new converts. It's, it's a Greek church, so it's in Greece. And uh, it's written about AD 50 to 51. And this church is kind of a, a new church. It's been born. It wasn't a church that had come out of a synagogue or anything like that. It's full of lots of new believers who've got lots of different perspectives on the way life works. They've got kind of Greek philosophy and that kind of understanding of the world going on. They're not Jews. They haven't got a Jewish tradition or any history. So Paul's kind of sort of writing this letter. And we're coming into the end of the letter. And I want to start in verse 27. Um, and then we're going to go back to verse 12. So if you want to go to verse 27, Paul writing. So the, the letter would have been delivered from Paul by someone. We're not sure, sure who delivered the letter. But it would have been delivered to someone and they'd have read it. And this is what Paul says to the person as they're finishing the letter. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. If you're reading it in the NIV, it will sound sisters as well. So it's written to the church. So, assumingly, the leaders in the church, even if they weren't appointed elders or deacons at that point, would have received this letter, they'd have read it through, and Paul is saying, I want you guys, I'm charging you to read this to the church. This is for the church. This isn't just for the leaders. This is for the church to hear and for the church to respond to. And I think that's a really encouraging place for us to start, because what Paul is saying is this is about all of us. All of us together have got to process this chew it over, outwork it. It's not just for the leaders to try and influence people, but the responsibility is on us. Is that okay? Yeah. Yes, you with me? Great, thank you. I've got one person with me. <laughs> Hopefully we'll catch a few more of you up as we go. Uh, I like heckling. In Sittingbourne, they're a lot more rowdy than you guys, so feel free. Don't, just don't throw anything. Don't throw anything. 
Um, and so we're going to go to verse 12 now, and we're going to walk through. I'm just going to read it through once, just so that we've got it in our minds. So I'm reading from the ESV. It might be slightly different on the screen. But verse 12, it says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labour among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you, to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. And I've put in brackets or a COVID fist bump or a side hug. <laughs> I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all of the church, to all of the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And so what we're going to do, I just want to walk through this letter, going back to verse 12, and I'm just going to pick up on a few things. I've highlighted about 14 or 15 words that are all things that start in the heart, but they're things that we need to do. I'm just going to rule them off, and then as I read it through again, hopefully you'll pick them up. The letter here, it talks about respect. It talks about esteem. It talks about love. Peace. Admonishing. Which doesn't sound as good as the other lot, does it? <laughs> being admonished, being told off. <laughs> Encouraging, helping, being patient, doing good, rejoicing, praying, giving thanks, not putting out the spirit, not being cynical when people prophesy, testing, holding fast, and abstaining. And so there's lots of things there that we need to do. And they're all things that we can try and put our own effort in. It sounds here like, I don't know about you, when I was looking at that list, I was sort of using it as a spiritual MOT. How am I getting on with respecting leaders, um, those who are over me in the Lord? Am I esteeming them? Am I loving them? Sometimes I get a bit grumpy, maybe an X against that one. I'm not doing best three and I'm already failing on one or two. Being at peace among yourselves, well, half the time I'm not even at peace with myself. So, uh, again, fail, not doing very good there. Um, admonishing other people, to be honest, uh, I don't like confrontation, so admonishing people, particularly in our culture, it's not very easy, is it? My wife's looking like, you do like confrontation. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just with you. <laughs> encouraging the faint-hearted, helping the weak, being patient. I'm good at putting on admonishing and encouragement and helping, but I'm not very good at putting on patience. Patience is, is something that comes from a heart that is drenched in peace, isn't it? It says, be at peace among yourselves. And then later we hear, may the God of peace sanctify you. So there's something about knowing the Prince of Peace and all of this stuff flowing from there. I'm failing at about five of the eight. I don't know how you're doing if you're counting. You're running out of fingers. Doing good to other people. Rejoicing always. I am really grumpy. If you get to know me, has anyone ever been to New Day? Um, it's a festival our family of churches do, kind of for young people. And uh, we went along once, and on the second year that we went, or the next year after the year we'd gone, 
as they were doing the preparation, telling the next group what to do, you know, what tents to take and stuff like that, the kids that had been the year before said to the new lot that were going, make sure you don't talk to Gordon until you've had a coffee in the morning. <laughs> uh, because I'm like grumpy Gordon, I'm like the Gordon the train, and Thomas the tank engine, he's the grumpy train. But I don't know why I got that name, but it fits. Um, sometimes, like rejoicing always, a lot of us, we can be glass half empty, can't we? How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. What's going on? Not much. You know, we're so English, aren't we? We're so like, oh, like, thankfully we're blessed to have some African brothers and sisters in our church. They're so joyful. Just so joyful. I don't know, like, I know we shouldn't caricature and stuff like that, but there's something very English about, like, not rejoicing always. We always find, oh, the weather, oh, the this or all that. Praying without ceasing. Do you pray without ceasing? Do you pray at all? Giving thanks. You're not quenching the spirit. I think it's more of a statement than an instruction. I think it's right in the middle there. I think it's a proclamation, almost a cry in the middle of these two bookends of all these things. Don't quench the spirit. And all these other things, whether we're doing them well or not. Not that it's all on us. And we'll get to that in a moment. Because it seems like a lot of stuff to do, doesn't it? And uh, a lot of effort, like a lot of law. And, uh, and already, I'm failing. I've transgressed the law. I'm not, I can't do this stuff, Jesus. Help me. And I'm sure, hopefully, in your heart, you're thinking, oh, yeah, there's some of these little challenge for me. <clears throat> when people prophesy in the life of the church, when there's a contribution, when there's a word, do you think, oh, here we go, it's that person again. We're on the second song, up they get, they're bringing the words. He says not to do that. Don't despise prophecy. But it also says, don't just chunk prophecy down. Test everything. When people bring something, oh, I've had a word. Wait, test everything. Don't reject everything, don't despise it, but test everything as well. And so it's like, either or, you can either reject prophecy or you can wholeheartedly embrace it, but you're meant to weigh it, otherwise you're not discerning. And we're meant to do that together. All of this is written to the church, isn't it? It's not about us individually in our private time with Jesus. The Bible doesn't say a lot about our private time. It says, it says a little bit, but it's mostly addressed to believers together. As for me and my house, we will follow the Lord. It's to families, it's to households, it's to congregations. It's for us to work out together. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every evil. So I'm just going to pick some of this apart. And I'm going to push the pendulum on a couple of bits because I feel the liberty too. And these guys maybe wouldn't because this is the church that they lead. So I'm going to start at the beginning. Verse 12. It says about respecting those who labour among you. Those who lead. It says those who are over you. It's basically talking about those who lead. I think particularly for those, and it says that they should admonish you. And as they admonish you, you should esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So you should rejoice at the fact that Pete, Sam, Mike, other leaders in the church, male and female, not just men, are looking out for you and are saying, like they would with kids, kind of like a parent would, not in a heavy-handed, heavy-shepherding way, but like we do around the table sometimes, we don't do that in this house. We don't do that in this family. We don't swear. We don't fiddle our taxes. We don't have a go at one another. We're not taking bites out of the sheep. As leaders lead and do that stuff diligently, faithfully, watch out for us, watch out for our souls. It's a bit like gardening. They're looking and saying, oh, what you've just done, that's a bit of a weed. We've got to pull that up. And as a congregation, we should be really happy that they're doing that. I think one of the challenges, particularly for those, I'm not going to look around the room particularly, anyone will just look up there and say this bit, but when we're maybe a bit more advanced in our faith, particularly a bit more advanced in years, I've experienced this in my life, it can be really difficult for people to come under the leadership of, of younger guys, younger girls, 
can be a real challenge. Particularly as they're bringing instruction and you've maybe been in the Lord for 40 years and they've been in the Lord for 10, 15, 20. There can be a real challenge in that. But the Lord has appointed elders and deacons in the life of the local church to lead us well, to govern us diligently, to help kind of keep the, the, the flock healthy. And so as they spot things out, they're the ones who are overseeing, they're the ones who are watching. And as they spot things that are kind of like rot in and amongst the, in the, in the flock, it's their job to address it and deal with it. And, uh, and if our heart is for the flock and not just for ourselves, then anything that's highlighted is like, oh, help me, Lord. Help me with this. I didn't realise I was like that. I didn't realise, like Natalie said, I didn't, I, I'd spoken ill of someone. I feel so bad about it. Thankfully, her conscience isn't seared because it's not something she does again and again and again. Uh, was it Joan? Joan, like, I just thank you so much for your heart. As we think about grieving the Holy Spirit, as the Spirit puts his finger on something, it's what we do with it. If we just bury that down and say, I'm not going to deal with that, then we end up searing our conscience. It doesn't matter how many wing mirrors I knock off, I'm just going to go for it. Wait, go down the car park, let's get a few more. We would be searing our spirit, wouldn't we? If, we? if we start mistreating people, we start talking negatively about people, particularly when they're not in the room. These subtle little things, they all stem from the heart, don't they? They all stem like these attitudes. But they're all things that welcome the spirit or actually re reject him. When Jesus was baptised, there's this beautiful image where the heavens open and the dove comes down on Jesus. It's the spirit of God comes and rests upon him. And then the voice from heaven says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And the spirit's described as a dove. Here it says in verse 23, now may the God of peace. So thinking of the dove, a symbol of peace. What do you think of the Holy Spirit? When we think about stewarding the Holy Spirit in our life and the things that can grieve him. Think of a dove. Close your eyes right now and imagine a little dove. It's just been floating around in like a pigeon. But a dove, look, pigeons aren't so nice, they're like flying rats, aren't they? Doves are beautiful. <laughs> There's a pigeon floating around, and he's just descending down, and he's just, I was going to say he's just plopped himself on your shoulder, but you wouldn't want a, a, a dove plopping on your shoulder, would you? But the dove just rests himself on your shoulder. How would that feel? It would be very light, wouldn't it? It's kind of just landed, kind of his tiny little feet, he just landed on you. Hopefully you're not afraid of doves or you'd be freaking out. But he's just landed there. And he's just cooing in your ear. He's making some beauty. He's telling you the things of God. The Holy Spirit's resting upon you. Such a tender and a sensitive way. And he's cooing in your ear. He's telling you wonderful things. He's affirming your identity as a child of God. He's giving you new eyesight to see people in a way that you've not seen them. You see someone in a doorway and he's telling you about not the fact that they're there and they're kind of a the dredges of society, but actually there's a story behind why they're there. He's maybe even giving you a word to go over and to share with them, or, or telling you to give them your trainers. But you've just bought, cost you hundred pounds, and you're like, oh, I want to give them a trainer. And the, the, the dove's just saying, coo, 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 give them your trainers. But the dove is, 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 is telling you what Jesus is seeing. I don't know about you, I would love to know that presence 24-7 in my life. The Bible promises us we can know that. The challenge is, is how we walk with this dove perched on our shoulder. If I'm getting up to stuff, if I'm shouting and screaming at my neighbours, if I'm running around the car park knocking off everyone's wing mirrors and not bothered about it, 
if I'm talking to other people, if I'm sitting up late at night watching things on the internet, I really wouldn't be if my wife was sat next to me. We can think of lots and lots of different things, can't we, in your own life. That dove, he's gone. He don't want no part in that, because he's a holy dove, he's the spirit of Jesus. And he wants to change and transform you. And so the way that we carry or we steward this presence of Jesus in our life is really important. It's a spirit of holiness. And if we act in unholy ways, we can grieve him. I was in the hairdressers yesterday. I just wanted to talk about my haircut. I was in the hairdressers yesterday. And uh, I was getting my haircut. And the guy behind me, I think he was drunk. He was effing and blinding. Really coarse language. It just completely changed the atmosphere in the hairdressers. And I was thinking, I, I wanted to get up and leave, but I'd had half of my hair done. <laughs> so I wonder, how much of a statement do I want to make it? But I felt really uncomfortable. And it just, as I, I was thinking about this, and it just, how does Jesus feel when I'm really putting my foot in it? And unlike Joan, I'm not bothered about it. Yeah. No one else is watching. It don't matter. Have you ever had those moments where you've done something? I think I got away with that. The lightning bolt didn't come down and take me out. Maybe I'll try it again. The glances that we have at a work colleague or a neighbour, all these sort of things. The covetousness, covetousness where we desire things that aren't ours, whether it be people, possessions, houses, whatever it is, these things can really grip us, can't they? Good things, but they become God things, and then they become very, very bad things. And so quenching the spirit, all of these things I've read out, what would it look like in a church where people really aren't bothered? It would look like where there's a disrespect towards those who labour among you. It would look like a low view of leadership. It would look like no sense of response to them. It would look like infighting and division and, and factions in the church. It would look like where we overlook where people are idle and they're not getting involved in things. We just let people turn up and go. We don't expect people to get stuck in like a family. Like you go to a hotel, you get served, don't you? Then you go home and, and you expect when you're in a family, you muck in, don't you? You clean the dishes, you help make the food, you take out the trash. And for my daughter yesterday, sometimes you have to go in the garden and get, we've got a dog, so sometimes you've got to pick things up you don't want to pick up. When you go to a hotel, they don't expect you to do that stuff, do they? And in the church, we shouldn't allow people to be idle. We should call people to serve and to get stuck in. And if people really won't, we should admonish them. And that's not the elders admonishing. It says, I urge you, brothers. This is talking to the church. Remember, that's where we started. Admonish one another. It's a healthy thing. Now, some of you might be like me thinking, I get to tell people off. Woohoo! Um, hopefully, you don't feel like... But that's not the heart. Because the admonishing thing is about being a parent. Like, you would sit around the table and say, come on, let's have another little go at that. Come on, get stuck in. It might not be the best thing you do. Have a go at putting out the chairs. Have a go at serving in this way or just getting stuck into a community group. Don't be idle. Don't just sit back. One of the things I've noticed, I don't know about you, in my own heart during COVID, during lockdown, is there's a verse that says, the love of many will grow cold. And I really found during, during lockdown, during COVID, that something shifted in my heart. The way I felt about people, even in the church, changed a little bit. It became a real effort to get along to church and get back involved in things. And I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're already here. It's the guys that aren't that probably need to hear this. But it's the thing of like stirring our heart that we're not idle. Get involved. Get stuck in. 
it would look like a church where we don't encourage those who are struggling. And someone like Jared shares something that's on their heart. We just all look the other way. No one responds. No one comes up and gives her a hug. It says help the weak. It's talking about people that are struggling with sickness. It would look like us just looking again, looking the other way, turning the other way, not responding to people in doorways. It would look like us getting frustrated and impatient with one another. One of the biggest barriers to kind of grieve what causes of grieving the Holy Spirit is this verse 15. It says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. It's offence. Unforgiveness. Put your hand up if you've ever been offended in your life. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, every hand pretty much, yeah. Um, put your hand up again if it was in the church. I've been offended by people in the church. I think I've been offended more times in the church than I've in the world. I won't ask you to put your hand up, but would you put your hand up if I asked you if you've forgiven that person? Even whether they've asked for it or not. Or, it, or, or actually, the, the person you were thinking of when your hand went up, or the situation, is that still in there? Is it like needling away, eating away slowly, chiseling away? A fence is like a fence. It separates us from one another and from the grace of God. The transformative grace of God that wants to make us more like Jesus. Don't slip into a fence. Don't slip into unforgiveness. They're evil, they're, they're cancerous. They'll eat you out from the inside out and do it in the church. And you end up with a culture that's really, really odd. Seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So not just in the church, but we're told elsewhere in the letters, first do good to the household of faith, but also to everyone, it says. Who's everyone? Everyone. Yeah. <laughs> everyone is everyone. So out in the world, seek to do good. People on the train that don't talk to one another, look for someone that you can do good for. Stand up, give them your seat. Whatever it is, the tiniest things you can do, just start to think, Holy Spirit, what opportunities are there in my daily life? As we do these things, we're kind of, we're, we're listening to this little dove on our shoulder rather than just fleeing him off. And, and I don't know about you, like, if I was aware that he was there, I would be so much more careful about carrying myself and walking in a particular way. Hold, it says a bit about prophecies, I've really touched on that, but holding fast to what is good and abstaining from every evil. There's a sense that when prophetic words come, we should weigh them collectively. The imagination of God is amongst his people. So it's not just on the elders to take them away in the private room, prime over and say, these are the words we think God said. It's for all of you. The imagination of God's amongst his people that will resonate with all of you. These guys may do that first, but actually we should carry those things together and we shouldn't despise them with hold, but also we should wait. We shouldn't just, someone's come in and brought loads of words, let's just adopt them. We've got to weigh them together and we'll feel like there's a grace collectively on things. Holding fast to what is good is a bit like chewing the meat and spitting out the bones. So the bits that aren't of God, we throw away. We don't reject the whole thing because there was something in there that was a bit fleshly or maybe a bit off key. We actually get rid of the bones and we keep hold of the meat. And abstain from every kind of evil. That just means like, run. Run for the hills. If there's anything in your life, I've touched on a few things, any attitudes that you've got. One of the best things you probably won't know you've got. That's always the problem with it. Turn to the person next to you, or to, if you're married, to, you, to trust me, your wife or your husband <laughs> will know what these things are. Just say, would you help me? What do you see in my life that's not, it's not quite in line with who Jesus is? They'll, they'll gladly tell you. They'll gladly tell you. And pray about it. 
Ask for prayer. I love that's what James, I like, love Jones' vulnerability. It really teed me up for this morning. It's so vulnerable, that church. I don't feel like I'm in the right place right now. And I'm thinking, Joan, if you only know what's going on in my heart, it's not wonder, is It's frustrations with people that I'm having problems with, <coughs> falling in love with electric cars, whatever it is, all these things, you know. <laughs> but, but, but do you get what I mean? Like, you just think, Joan, it's such a gift to this church. I was literally like in tears as you were sharing, just thinking how precious that is. Your vulnerability. I don't want to grieve you, God. Search me, O Lord. If there's anything inside of me, would you deal with it? Yeah. Thank you for being brave. And that should be a provocation to all of us. Lord, would you help me? Help me with my stuff. I've, I've 25, just one more point I'd like to make. It's a bit of a chunky one, but it won't take long. We've really got to pray. Um, but there's this bit, verse 23, it says, May the God of peace himself sanctify us. So that means make us more like Jesus. So, little technical bit, stay with me. So when you become a Christian and you pray, Jesus, would you become the king of my life? I turn away from sin. I receive you as my Lord and Saviour. I receive your Holy Spirit. Thank you, you've forgiven me. At that moment, you've been justified. You're made right before God. The spirit comes into your life and then a process starts which is called being sanctified, sanctification. And that's something the spirit does in us, but also in partnership with us. So it's not something that happens like, it does happen there and then, things can fall away. For me, I was a drug addict, I was in all sorts of freaky stuff. The Lord dealt with a lot of it, right there and then. But some of it took years to outwork and even now, sometimes I can, be, I can slip into drinking too much. I'll have one beer, then I'll have a second one, then I'll have a third one, I think. Oh my gosh, I'm back where I was again. And so I have to be very, very careful on that. And thankfully, the Lord's given me an amazing wife who doesn't drink, so it makes it a lot easier. She's like a profession for me, it's okay. And she admonishes you. She, admo- <laughs> she does admonish me very, very well. Very, very well. And she heckles as well, it's great. Um, but the process of sanctification starts, and it's us becoming more and more like Jesus. One day you'll see him, face unveiled, and you know what he'll say? Well done, you're a faithful servant. The pleasure and the delight of the well done of heaven is upon you. But there's a process that we're going through right now in our flesh and in our emotions that's making us more like Jesus. And we can work with that by carrying the dove on our shoulder. Or we can work against it by saying, no, it doesn't matter. The reason Paul's writing this is because the church he's writing to, the, the Greek philosophy was that actually physical material, physical matter like your body, is actually evil. And so it doesn't matter what I do with it because it's wretched anyway. So these guys would sleep around, they would drink, they would have orgies, it would be ridiculous. They, they wouldn't care what they were doing. And so the reason he's writing this is actually, it's really important. What you do with your body matters. It's part of your, like Paul wrote to the Romans, Romans 12, offer your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. It's part of your spiritual worship. So what we do with our frame is important. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's sown perishable. So it's like a tent, Paul says, it's going to fade away. So thankfully, I've not got this body forever. I might, I might like it whilst it's young, but as you get older, which you probably know, it starts to fall apart, bits don't work anymore, maybe bits drop off a bit. It's not quite as fun. We get a resurrection body as we get older. Once, sorry, once we're in glory, not as we get older. But we get a resurrection body. This tent is going to fade away, but the spirit within it and the soul within it are going to last forever. So when he's saying, now may the God of peace sanctify you completely, 
there's not a single part of you, internally or externally, that the Spirit doesn't want to touch. We're told that the years that the locusts have taken can be renewed. I feel like there's some of you that are carrying things that you were thinking when Joan was sharing, if you only knew what was going on in my life, the condemnation I've lived over, not just for days or weeks, but for years. The things that I've done, the things that other people have done to me, I can't seem to get free of it. The Holy Spirit wants to set you free. He wants to sanctify you. So it says, may he sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, your whole soul and your whole body be kept blameless until Jesus comes back. And so the Spirit of God wants to make you more and more like Jesus. The Spirit of God, is, well the Spirit is the part that kind of comes alive when we justify, when we give ourselves to Jesus. The soul is like the emotions, your character, who you are, it's the essence of who you are. That bit can get damaged through life, through sin, but it can be renewed through the Spirit. That's the bit that gets sanctified day after day after day, and then the body's the bit that's perishable. Thankfully, we're going to get a resurrection body. And so that bit, kind of, it's important what we do with it. We've got to steward it. We can shorten our lives if we don't look after it. It can affect us emotionally if we don't look after it. But you can see that the Spirit is wanting to work with you to renew you like he wants to renew creation. Both in your personal life, in your family and in the world. And you get to choose how he does it. But it says, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So if you would only partner with him, like John has, Lord, I've fallen out of alignment, help me. Then actually the Spirit is quick and he's promised that he's going to do it. It's an assurance. He will do it. Surely he will do it. So can we stand? So I can't stand. I really feel like there's loads of stuff that we've touched on. And I feel like there, there is a sense that the Lord wants to deliver some of us from things that we've lived in the shame of for years, maybe days. But things that we've done, things that aren't right, things that we've not been able to get free of, and it's literally just a case of saying, Lord, you say that you're surely going to do it, and I want to respond to that. I want to experience freedom. Like Joan said this morning, it was such an encouragement. I want to get right with God. And we do that together. Admonishing, encouraging, helping, and being patient. Sometimes a prayer isn't enough. Sometimes it requires hard work, graft. We go again, we go again, the person slips up again, we go again, we need patience. And that all comes from the Prince of Peace. And so I'm just going to pray, if that's okay. And then Pete, if you feel like there's anything that might help with this, um, we'll just have a tiny time. How are we doing for time? What time do you finish? Five minutes ago. Roughly just over five minutes, maybe up to ten. Okay, so we'll just pray now. Again, if anyone has anything they want to respond to, or you feel you've got something you want to share, please do it. It'd be great if those of you who feel able to, I don't know if you have a prayer team here, if anyone does respond, it'd be great. A bit like we did with Joan this morning, where people could just go and pray quietly with one another. But I really believe it. Like, now's the time to say, actually, Lord, you know what? I'm not going to tell everyone else here, maybe like Joan did from the mic, but I want you to help me in my heart. Mm. Would you help me? I want you to sanctify me. Make me more like Jesus, and that requires me to take a step towards the Lord. So, King Jesus, we thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your presence right here in this room with us right now. Holy Spirit, we thank you that your, your pleasure is to perch on our shoulder, to anoint us and coat us with the presence and glory of Jesus, and to change us from the inside out. This seems like so much stuff we've got to do, and we fail again and again and again, but thank you that you're the one that's surely going to do it. And so, Lord, as each of us respond, Lord, we pray that you would do something in our heart, that we would have a sense of assurance that it's all going to be okay. 
that pleasure, the well done, good and faithful servant would rest upon us. You might just want to put your hand on your heart. And just put your hand out and just say, Lord, would you come? Holy Spirit, come. Just invite them. Holy Spirit, come. You might want to sort of say in your own words, I'm sorry, Lord, for that thing that I did. I'm sorry, Lord, but I've not been able to forgive this person. One of the things I felt as I was preparing is that there may be a person or a few people here who've really struggled with authority in their life, and it's because of something that happened when you were younger, and that you really, the Lord wants you to forgive. And he's not saying it was okay. you're not saying it was okay, but you're saying I don't want it to, to own me anymore. I want to be free of it. Mm-hmm. And that person's long gone. I felt like it was a parent, a heavy-handed parent that you just weren't good enough. So Father, help me to forgive this person. Like Neil started off about chains being broken, and we can walk free. The cell door is open. We don't need to live in condemnation or torment. I choose to walk free.